Hello everyone, we're back with the second season of I Hope This Message Finds You Well, a podcast on curating, where we, myself, Eloise Sweetman, and my friend and colleague, Chris Dittle, talk to curators about their approach to curating, how they began, and what they love about the profession. Today's episode is with us. In this kickoff episode, we return to our initial conversation in 2020 and discuss what we have learned from our guests in season one and what has changed in our personal and professional life since then. How many months has it been since our last confession? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's been two years almost. I think we recorded our first episode June 2020, so it's nearly two years, which is unbelievable. It is pretty crazy, actually. Because actually, if you think about it, our first recording was two years ago, but we had many discussions beforehand, like discussing. So it could even be longer. Yes. Time flies. Time flies. Yeah. I've been wondering how, you know, like the whole incentive of starting this podcast was somehow also brought about the the pandemic to wanting to reach out to people and to connect and I think at the time there was a lot of sentiment in general in the art world although what is it about you know how things should change and that we need more solidarity and uh, change the way we are working and so on and I feel there was a lot of energy from that but then here we are two years later and you know in a few days everybody will hop on their flights to Venice and everything just goes uh, back to the old routines. But also like that there are all of these uh, like every single big art event is seems to be happening this year like you were saying that like documenta, manifesta, Berlin Biennial, Berlin Biennial, Bergen Assembly. Yeah. They do have the calendar, though. Yeah. Well, I mean, like it's all uh, it's all happening, and I think it's also exciting in some ways that to see how things might have changed on the ground. Yeah. Because, like, right now, it feels to me that it's it feels like nothing has changed, but everything has changed mm. for both of us. Yeah. Like, uh, what is curating now? Post pandemic curating. Well, is it post? No. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> the kind of pretense pretense uh, post yeah what is it and what could it be because yeah we've been talking about that earlier how it changed or I feel like I'm in some threshold where I feel I I am changing things but also I need to change them much more radically yeah the way I work and it's not just the way I work but actually where do I want to put my energy yeah. into no I understand that I think for me the beginning of the pandemic, I, I had never been so creative in my life. And I think that was some sort of weird defense mechanism. Like I just I had so many good ideas and I was able to produce a lot and I'd actually do a lot that I maybe didn't know I could do previously. But on the, now on the other side, I 
probably have never been so tired. Yeah. And also, like, I feel like I, I need to focus, be more precise. And, like, you're so kind of in what you're saying, like, cut out, like, the noise in some way. It's also like a moment of experimentation, right? What works and what doesn't. But I totally relate to what you've been saying about, you know, having the time and I've been so focused and I've been reading so much and thinking so much and having this time. I'm one of those privileged people who, during the first and consecutive uh, lockdowns, I just had suddenly all this time. A lot of projects got cancelled or postponed indefinitely and... I don't have a child or anyone to take care of, so I suddenly just had all this time on my hands. And I think it it really made me rethink a lot of things and plant a lot of seeds that I are kind of like happening yeah, now, that's or nice. kind of excavate a lot of my interests that I was I never had time for, or you know I wasn't even so conscious if of them. So anyway, I think that's kind of the good thing. Yeah. But then it also made me doubt a lot of the things. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I like I thought was really good during this time was that I really li- had time to be in the exhibitions that I curated here in the Netherlands and and also uh, for some time in in France, but I realized that a lot of that like talking about this idea of object oriented curating, I really, really like being in in the exhibition. Like and installing the exhibition is, I think, one of the my most favorite treasured moments of curating, and then the time afterwards. But I also think that I was influenced by the pandemic because I couldn't be in the room with the artist. But we both had like smaller and bigger life changes also during a. The past two years. That's true. That's um, true. But it's, yeah, actually, that's really true. I think for season one, I don't think I, for all the interviews, I don't know if I was pregnant. But for sure, whilst all the pro- episodes were being released, I was. And all season two interview, or most of season two interviews, I was pregnant and then with uh, with an actual baby, which has definitely been interesting thinking about things that we talked about with Lara and even Joey and about parenthood in the art world and and how we had these really nice ideas about shared work and mm-hmm. and how actually it's really been quite an eye-opener on uh, like parent being a parent in the art world and actually it's not like I wouldn't say that it's the art world at large. It's just specific people that don't. Um, it's kind of sort of like burnout culture. Mm, yeah. You know, it's like and and um, how lots of people don't understand when somebody's burning out what that actually means. Yeah. Like they look okay, mm-hmm. but um, in fact, they're yeah. yeah. So there's been interesting, and and you've also been on your own journey. I've been on my own journey. I started <laughs> writing a lot. Yeah. That is top secret. <laughs> um, yeah, I also kind of became sick, mm-hmm. which I think in a way because I had all this time for myself, I kind of finally, from speaking of burnout culture, I maybe allowed myself to rest and then something that's been bubbling inside me kind of came on the surface. Mm-hmm. 
But then also because the last two years, well, maybe at least the first year of the last two years yeah. um, was a bit on a slower pace, it also allowed me to heal yeah. and also to focus on myself and my body that I never really had to to such extent yeah. before. Yeah. And maybe it's similar with motherhood that suddenly you have like this deeper inner focus that is kind of forced upon you. But then how to deal with that in this moment, in this burnout culture, I mean, to this world. Yeah. But where nobody has an extra capacity to share. Where I think that's maybe the problem that we are always, all of us, constantly on the edge, at the tipping point. And it's already such a balancing act. Like, how can you then give more to someone in, you know, like without essentially, you know, being totally consumed. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's something that I think we talked a lot about in the, in all, all interviews is some aspect of care and, you know, labor and like looking after each other in, in work. And, but I don't think I really understood what that kind of I knew I knew what it meant in in a different way you know it's completely different like like you know taking time off isn't just for me uh not having an exhibition on mm. <laughs> it's actually not working at all which I that's completely blowing my mind yeah. like oh I've never, like, I, I, I agree with what you were saying like I've never thought about myself in in a personal in the in my personal life before like you know go to the dentist now and again but i'd never actually had to kind of look at myself and or look inside myself and go oh my god like like i have my whole entire life is different now which is weird because like and also what i've realized in this time is that i really like working Mm. (laughs) and i'm i am an auto exploiter (laughs) Yeah, I can relate to that a little bit. But I think it's that's the good thing about art, not the good thing in the sense that art is auto-exploiting, which I think it is, but also like art is that is so much on the edge of everything and the centre of everything. Yeah. I, so like it's hard to know when... Because if you're not in art, going to an exhibition is leisure. Yeah. You know? And so <laughs> we like, we do we work in the leisure industry? Like... <laughs> Perhaps, yeah. yeah but like, I do like that, not only trashing art, because obviously uh, this idea of self-exploitation also comes from a drive, you know, like it's my way of being in the world. Yeah. And I've been having so many really fantastic conversations in the past year that I can't let it go because yeah. what's there, left there. <laughs> yeah. I think the problem is rather, you know, the kind of systemic issues of the art world, but... Yeah, as a way of being in the world, I I don't think I could change that. Mm-hmm. Even if I would do something else. Yeah. Um, Where are these issues? These issues um, from in, in the systemic issues from the art world? Because like that's one thing that has also surprised me in a way is that like I I thought that it would be the larger institutions that would be the one that would kind of like cast me aside or not understand. And in fact, that because of certain regulations, they can't do that, you know, like in terms of being like maternity leave and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. And I would say that I feel like I've been cared for more by 
you know, um, these different yeah. institutions than actually like the, you know, the individual, well, uh, to a certain extent, because then I have an incredibly lucky, I'm incredibly lucky because I have many uh, caring friends and this sort of thing. But like, I don't know, like where, where is this deep systemic problem coming from? I think to one extent from this precarity where, you know, wolf yeah. eats wolf kind of mentality yeah. very easily arise. But, I mean, the article as such is also, you know, historically built on this kind of, I don't know, the whole, like, ethos of the genius and who can afford or allow to be a genius is, yeah. you know, very, like, deep-seated questions that still operates and that the world still operates within that kind of framework. Or this idea of, you know, even the masterpiece or mastery. Yeah. I think they are just so deeply rooted in the art world that it's just difficult, impossible to get rid of them and then just be in it. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's a bit too abstract what I'm saying, but... No, um, I think I understand. And then, you know, then it does operate on this, like, exceptionalism, but then there are all these, like, zillions of precarious actors and I don't mean only like artists and curators and da-da-da, but all these other people who make exhibitions or whatever projects happen mm-hmm. yeah um, well, one of the things we talked about in the past is like disappearing mm-hmm. you know in parenthood or in sickness and like I've, I don't feel that I had the chance to disappear Mm. perhaps I would have liked to have disappeared for three months but I felt like I really couldn't one because I was worried that I'd be forgotten but then immediately I found discovered that like people will contact me regardless if they know I'm on maternity leave or not to the opposite of yeah and is it and so in that way I would say that there is the, the the that like it's also an attitude, I think, yeah. uh, and I, I wonder, like, and I think I hold a lot of that toxic work behaviour myself. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I need yeah. to do it all. Yeah, yeah. Or this attitude of you're not allowed to take a rest or not allowed to disappear. Yeah. Because what will happen? Yeah, yeah. And I, I thought that I really thought that was going to come from external, external source, and it turns out that it comes from me. Which I thought I think is really interesting and scary, actually, because like, <laughs> okay, it's time to go to therapy. I think. <laughs> aren't we doing that now? <laughs> yes, that's um, true. Uh, yeah, I've been also thinking about you know what changed and what changed the better, yeah. or what feel like gives me some hope or certain. I wouldn't say vision, but an idea where I want to go and yeah. where I want to be. And I've been thinking much more about, and I think things I'm working on right now or I've worked on very recently are kind of trying to do that to some extent, Mm -hmm. to work much more collectively and and much more focused on sharing. Also, like, and some forms of exchange that are, you know, not maybe so worked out or not so finished or actually they don't need to be finished but that's something that is not centered on an individual even though I don't know this sounds again like so abstract but is this like the podcast for example like working in that way or like you know you just published a book sure the podcast I think with the book as well which was 
I wrote on it with an artist who is also my friend, Clementine Edwards. And it was really a true collaboration in a way that I kind of, I feel a bit of a grief after this oh, yeah, out rather yeah. than, yeah, I'm sorry, Clem, I, I'm happy for it, but I also feel like uh, it kind of ended an era. Yeah. But then I also think about, you know, I'm much more interested in being with conversation and sharing with people, which I think I've always been, but I feel I'm much more ready to let go of the pressure Oh, yeah. to do beautiful things oh, yeah. which I know I can do beautiful things yeah. <laughs> I mean this sounds like yeah. self-assured but you know I, after years of experience yeah. I can do like beautiful yeah. I don't mean necessarily aesthetically pleasing but yeah things know. that work well things that work well yeah um, yeah, yeah I, I understand that I, I but I, I feel like for myself I've rarely worked on my own now that I think about it like I guess yeah, all, all most of my projects are with a collaborator or multiple collaborators, I really like working with people. And I think that's what's nice about being a curator because you're also in some ways always working with mm-hmm. an artist, but but also being, you know, in our case of this podcast or with Shimmer or, or co-curating or whatever, it's nice not to be alone in that way. Mm-hmm. And I would say that one thing I would have liked from the pandemic is um, to not teach on my own anymore. Mm-hmm. Actually, I would like to have a co-teacher because, mm-hmm. like, I think that there is that dynamic, I think, of bouncing ideas off each other like we do or um, in other projects. It's like, and also to try and work. I've never worked with a, gr- a group bigger than three, actually. Mm-hmm. It would be interesting to do yeah. more. But, I'm in, like, do you have any th- uh, ideas of what kind of collective projects you want to do? Or are you doing one? Uh, doing I'm kind so- of doing something along that line or trying in a very, like, unfinished format with my colleague Aneta Roskowska. Mm-hmm. We are doing a project on kinship, and I think we're trying to break up all the kind of boundaries. You know, it's um, hard. It, the thing is that it's hard to even fundraise for a project where you don't, sell it within a kind of recognizable structure like we are making an exhibition so then we have to constantly do this like concealing and pretending towards the funders but then presenting it elsewhere differently which is really exciting we we are doing a kind of monthly study group which Mm. is still this kind of public event it's still like media you know i'm still like a moderator and but I guess it's much more interesting for me to use this opportunity instead of just me reading books in my room to invite people to actually I can talk to them and then to make it public so Mm -hmm. that's also not just me doing something so then it becomes also potentially yeah and then there is also quite some contributions from the public which is kind of exciting and maybe destabilizes my thinking which Mm -hmm. I do like but so in this way, but, you know, I want, I don't want to put limits to this. It can be something else, but then how to make it sustainable in long term. And maybe something I wanted to talk you, to you about is also the limits of freelance curating, oh, yeah. which what you mentioned earlier. What did you mention earlier? Mm. That I found that... Uh, ah, the, the collaborations, that's what yeah. I was going to... Like, you know, this kind of being in conversation with people and collaborating with artists or people you feel close to on a longer term. And I feel, feel like there is a limit to what extent you can do as a freelancer because you yeah. always are reliant on a kind of... 
I mean, very simply, like a source of income and that potentially comes from very different sources each time. And then how you can maintain these conversations when the conditions are changing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, I, yeah, yeah, that, I, that in fact it would be better to have... Um, an institutional job to be allowed to allow you to have those long-term conversations that's what you mean mm. yeah I mean yeah I mean a, a nice example of that or of a, a, is you know Joey mm. Tang and what he was saying with fierce pussy like I, I really like that uh, that they're still in a conversation and they've had like three exhibitions potentially in our fourth but they began with no plan and like that to me and with no platform either you know like that they they could have been just a dinner and it could have been once but to actually go in together into the unknown and just talk and then start from ground zero and build up uh, that sounds cool to me because, yeah. like, also, like, in in the case of Jory, like, he is the outsider of the group. I don't know. I like that idea of doing something like that myself, like, just to be part of a part of something that's not something that I initiated. Yeah. I feel like I'm usually – I don't all I, – I think right now I'm, I'm at the place where I'd like to be told what to do. <laughs> A little yeah. bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not told what to do because that would never respond well to that, but more like, you know. <laughs> you know, like you don't have to like all the time produce the content and framework. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. but I also wonder, it made me think like what do you as a curator, I mean, don't mean you, but more abstractly bring to the table, you know, when you have a, a project like that. And also I'm, I'm continuously thinking about also power relations in the art. Like even if I'm a freelancer, there is always one who extends an invitation, yeah. who generates things, who holds a certain responsibility. And I don't know, I'm just kind of, I realize like I'm self-sabotaging a lot in terms of my career in the art world. I made very consciously decisions that kind of make me also... That basically career decisions that don't really make sense from a perspective of one's uh, advancements. But then I've been thinking a lot about how I always try to redistribute this power or kind of just get rid of it, but it's impossible. And then I'm like, who am I? Yeah. And then am I just then, you know, like a freeloader at this dinner table? Ah, So how to, how to work with that? You know, am I just kind of sneaking into these situations that I want to be in? And am I just using my power to... What? But what situation? Do you have a situation (laughs) in No, I just imagine now this dinner table. Yeah. Fierce pussy. Yeah. Yeah. What? 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 (laughs) you know I'm not talking about joy but then myself like um for me as a curator I like because and I think this is why I like artworks is because like for me it's easier to talk about uh what does the artwork do Mm -hmm. and and the relationship to the audience and like and how I how my body feels in that relationship and and then thinking about you know you know the location and then like you know Hmm. how does the sun hit a particular time or the, how do the sight lines work or what are the, what is, how do the works change 
when, uh, when they're positioned in different ways. And, and I feel like that um, although artists think about those sort of things, they think about it, you know, from inward, outward, and I feel like for me it's outward, inward. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, like, I feel like at the table, like, just also kind of thinking about what makes an exhibition. And we will have a, uh, the interview with Paul O'Neill who also talks about uh, in his work, maybe not in the interview but in lectures about what makes an exhibition versus a room full of objects. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, the curator is integral in, from trans, mm. transforming the room full of objects or not yeah. objects or whatever, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, these material body, these artworks, these artworks into an exhibition. Yeah. And, like, you don't have to be a freelance curator or an institutional curator to be able to do that. Yeah, sure. Like, but it also comes with these responsibilities. So I don't want to dismiss that curators do have some skills and, you know. Yeah, yeah, but also the power dynamic. Yeah, the but, yeah, yeah. The, but I don't know. I feel like, I feel like the uh, sometimes. I mean, I don't know what artists will think about this, but I feel like in the relationships I have with artists is that they have to kind of accept me into yeah. their work for it to be able to work. And it's really, 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 really nice yeah. when an artist does that because they want to know what you think. And like, and I'm always surprised. I'm like, oh, you want me to, why do I, you know, no, 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 like, but just like, oh, like, should I use this material? That material is like, oh, like I, you know, like I, I don't even, sometimes I'm kind of like speechless because I'm like, oh, I'm thinking about how my body will be in the room. Whereas it's hard when an artist doesn't want to accept you into the process because they already have such a good idea of how their work is going to be mm. they can't articulate it in until they're in the room yeah. and so like that's what I find hard in terms of a power dynamic because suddenly I feel like I, I have to say oh but but I'm the curator like I have <laughs> yeah, to make right. so I have to make yeah. decisions like because I, I do believe that there is a difference between artistic decisions and curatorial decisions, and mm. then the the line can be very, very thin. Yeah, and blurry. And yeah, so blurry. And like sometimes I have to catch myself when I am like, oh, I think this might be an artistic decision, yeah. but I'm not yet good enough, feeling comfortable enough to say to an artist, oh. I think what you've just done depends is depends on the relation, and I think when you can have this kind of relation of actually, that's the exchange maybe that I'm so much interested in. Then, you know, that that can be really beautiful, and yeah. Um, yeah. But I do feel like it's cult- there's uh, uh, it's cultural as well. Like mm-hmm. I think, like in France, for example, they, that I've come to realize that the a curator is like kind of like the big shot. Mm. which I don't feel like is the way it is here. I'm certainly not in Australia. Like the curator is really revered in, in this whole relationship. And I have been in a situation where I have, it's been, I, I've been treated in a way that I think I have the power. They think I think I have the power and trying to take it away from me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but I don't have the power. <laughs> like I'm just the curator. <laughs> I'm just yeah yeah I'm just like what do you and and like that's been a shock but on the other hand it's been really nice when working with artists that have like really want to um have the curator 
in that high position yeah. because they always want you to be there. Yeah. And like, uh, you know, whenever there's an interview or a walkthrough, like I'm thinking of Shanta Rao, like who I had a show with last year, like uh, she's a French artist and like every move she made, she would make sure that I was involved whether I thought it was necessary or not. And it's, that's nice yeah. over, but not yeah. where, not when I'm like suddenly, yeah. I like this God. level of. <laughs> I like this kind of relationship where also when you're allowed to come so close to someone's thinking yeah. and work, and then you can really understand someone's work. Yeah, and that takes time. And I feel like also okay. Again, I'm getting into this like bashing of the earth, but we're not allowed to have so much time to do that. Like I had this one exhibition that's supposed to open in May 2020. Oh. It didn't, and then it got postponed seven plus times it opened in a different venue i mean this was like great and everybody stayed on board that's even greater mm -hmm. but then i felt when it's opened in december last year that it really benefited from these one and a half years even yeah. though i felt like this was a ready to go show like we were in the production process when actually the first lockdown came mm -hmm. and And then I could understand how much closer I became with many of the works. A lot yeah. of things shifted. There were new productions, some new productions that completely transformed. Mm. And I don't know, I just felt, yeah, actually you need sort of these three years yeah. of preparation for a large project of this scale yeah. uh, to make something that's really works well yeah i think it works well yeah, yeah, yeah. no but I, i i think that that's also something i, I agree with that because like i think one thing that i've always been anxious about is like being like because we talked about the difference between an artist uh orientated curator which is what you see you are and i, I <laughs> the binary <laughs> yeah, and i being the object oriented curator and for me and like what has always i've been resisted being being artist focused is because i i i feel like I feel I feel scared about what I could do wrong in that relationship. Mm. But that's because I was thinking about it short term. Mm. Now thinking about it in long term. So like I've been, I opened a show at the beginning of this year with an artist who was supposed to open the show in 2020. Uh, and I've been working with her before that since 2016. And like the work that she's made now for in the show of 2022 it speaks very much to the work she first made in 2016. They're not the same, but I can see the connection. Mm. And I asked, I asked her like, Oh, like, what are you like? Were you thinking about that work? And she's like, well, no, I wasn't, I wasn't, but now I see it. And that's cool. I think yeah. to be able to be like, wow, like this, this pro and also when it's a, a younger artist or emerging artist now an established artist, You know, I still feel like I'm in the same place as I was in 2016. But then seeing a practice that like really is developing and flourishing, it's like, oh, that also is. I'm also yes in that too, like blooming. <laughs> um, and and I and so I, I really like that. I would like to, if I can have a relationship with an artist over like a decade, that yeah. rather than just 
one commissioned work. Yeah, exactly. That's I think that's where. And also, then it somehow feels more meaningful when you get to know someone's practice. You know, so historically, yes, are given the time to really see the trajectory and the ways of working. I think that's really one great. It also reminds me what we talked about with Lara Kaldi when Lara mentioned how it also can work this kind of curatorial artist relationship the other way around when she worked yes. with much more established artists who actually took her on and you know yeah you can also learn a lot from that relationship which is oftentimes not acknowledged maybe yeah yeah I, I, I agree like I think I think what I like about older working with older artists is that they also like they're willing to risk in a way that perhaps they wouldn't risk in a way uh, when, if they were a younger artist. But also they're so generous with kind of letting you figure it out mm-hmm. in a way. I, I mean, I'm thinking of like Joseph Grigley, for example. Jason and I, for Schumer, have only worked with him once, but the relationship was really like I, I still benefit from the conversations that we've had by email. And I still think about the way he works and how that's influenced the way we work. And that, feel, that feels really good. Like, you know, like, I mean, he's not that, he's not such an older artist. I mean, he's only six. I mean, established. Yeah. Of course, that's an age thing, but it's also, you know, a kind of like how much you are established in the art world. So I feel like it's more thinking about it in terms of being established and then yeah. sharing that spotlight or, or not yeah. in a way. Yeah. yeah. No, it's uh, but I I think in this last few months, like I really want to work with artists that are in my age group, or like from between twenty five. Not to say I'm twenty, <laughs> but twenty five to forty five, or maybe twenty five to thirty, fifty five. There's something about uh, these conversations that I've been having with um, artists and curators that I feel like we really get each other at the moment. And I don't know if it's a pandemic thing or it's that we're at a certain stage in our life where we are kind of feeling a bit confident, but not yet. Like, I don't know. I I feel like most of the artists that I'm working with right now are in that age, uh, age range and, like, it feels really good there's a sort of self-confidence that is coming out in these in these conversations that you know like there's always so much self-editing once upon a time but do you think that there's been anything else in the past since these last two years two and a half years that we started this podcast that um has changed for you i got a dog (laughs) yeah 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 um which is also Fantastic, actually. It's very hard for me not to talk about my dog, but it's not about my dog. It's also about the kind of social network, uh, social connections that facilitated how the love for my dog expands and yeah. outwards. And yeah, I call her like the love communist Fifi. So cute. But uh, so that, but yeah, what else changed? I don't know. I think I would like to re- write more work with publications more but I'm also you know working with publications is so such a solitary practice that Mm. I feel it's very it ties me to my laptop to Mm. much even more than I am already and then it makes me feel like how to rethink like an editorial process that's more lively so I guess that's what I'm thinking about how to bring or how to kind of mash up even more 
my mm. curatorial and editorial practice, which oh, yeah. is actually... I mean, I always look at the book like the way I would look at an exhibition or whatever project. So there's not like a weird description, but then the way how things are produced. So how to actually break that production mechanism mm. that it's more open. Oh, yeah. yeah. So oh, yeah. Anyway, this is abstract, but I have some ideas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So that will be for our next um, interview. I, will, I hope I can return to this yeah. and uh, report. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because I, I mean, you know, when I, in our first conversation, you talked about wanting to be more into the pub, publication, publishing. So mm-hmm. that certainly, if that was a, a goal, how to make myself more precarious? Yeah. Let's get into publishing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And is there anything, anything else for you that's changed? I feel like it's harder to be a freelance curator. I think it's because of the pandemic that I, I feel like. I have so many ideas for shows that I don't know where to take them. Mm. And, like, I am sort of sick of contacting places or talking to people about mm. possible shows and nothing happening. And, like, I am wondering what to do. And, like, I mean, oh, yeah, okay, I have Shimmer, but Shimmer is not where I take my 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 own curatorial projects. I don't want to do that either. I want to be able to experiment and try out shows in other locations with other kinds of light and that sort of thing so i'm i'm sort of wondering what's going to happen to me to me (laughs) and because like i mean i've got a show in in june but like that's one and i usually have two happening which i find to be good two shows a year freelance shows is enough yeah. with everything else going on <laughs> yeah and so I wonder what I'm going to do because I it would be hand and the kind of I've lost my how do I say I've lost my motivation to just go hey like I've got this idea for a show are you interested in yeah. and like and, and like what are what are other ways of doing that because there are other curators that get like constantly being invited to do shows mm. and they are institutional curators on top of their freelancing so I'm wondering how what is it that I need to do to um change my your brand yeah <laughs> no well it's also to what end you know do you want to make so many shows? Because, of course, and I go back one step. Uh, we talked about earlier, I don't know if I said this on the record, actually, or not, but, um, you know, I experience very much the limits of freelance curating yeah. in a sense of what I mentioned earlier in terms of this continuity, yeah. like how your circumstances change and the context change all the time, so it's very hard to maintain that but also in a way I feel professionally I'm really for a while already at this like stepping stone like okay girl move up and I'm just yeah. constantly kind of resisting yeah. that like yeah. Yeah. not really applying for institutional jobs not at all mm-hmm. you know I should be like curating some pioneer stuff and yeah. I'm just like no thank you yeah so it also feels like just working on a project basis and making freelance shows or even if it's not an exhibition freelance project yeah. it's not sustainable and at one point it's also I'm becoming less desirable because I'm kind of older yeah. <laughs> and I'm not also just physically not able to do as much as I used to like 10 years ago or 5 years ago even yeah. and so there is that and 
you know, like I'm maybe not so interested in my desirability anymore, but then the, (laughs) (laughs) this sounds weird, but, but then the art world, does operate okay the big art world like it's kind of the big o's but it does operate on that currency right your desirability and sorry i just and your baby is coming yeah i think he's crying baby desires (laughs) you (laughs) and that's the episode in the next one, we interview curator Sara Giannini on her practice, the platform she creates for her work, and how she sees curating from the perspective of a semiotician. If you have feedback, we'd love to receive your email at I hope this message finds you well at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at I hope this message and find us on SoundCloud under the same name. Our jingle was by the artist duo Momo Noez, and our sound engineer is Nick Thomas.